Hello, and welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday morning message. Today, Pastor Josh Reynolds helps us answer the question, what do you do when it looks like God's promises to you are going to go unfulfilled? Promises, promises, promises. We all make promises, and we've heard of promises. I love this right here. That's about like we do right there. Maybe you've heard some promises over the lifespan, your lifespan. Maybe you've, uh, you've made some of these promises in the past, but maybe you've heard some things like this. Dad, Mom, can I please have a dog? I promise that I will walk them every day. I promise, I promise I'll bathe them. You don't have to do it. I'll do it. You don't have to worry. I'll play with them. I'll clean up after them. I promise. Mom, Dad, can I please play my video games? Have you done your homework yet? No, I haven't done my homework yet, but I promise that I'll do my homework as soon as I get done. And my favorite of the promises, and I still use this one, is Do you promise, if I tell you this, do you promise that you won't tell anybody else? (laughs) And then you can raise the bar on them if you want to, if if you're really good at this, and you can say, do you cross your heart? Do you pinky swear? Do you pinky promise that you won't tell anybody what I'm about to tell you? And then you do this right here. I promise I won't say anything. How about when you get a little bit older, and maybe you've heard this just this week, I promise I'll be home at 9 o'clock. Anybody? I promise that I won't go over my minutes. That's a lie. You're going over your minutes. You can believe that. I promise that I'm going to make my bed for the rest of my life. If you'll just please let me go just this one time, I'll make it for the rest of my life. I promise you'll never have to make it up again. That's a lie. You you will never, ever be able to keep that promise. Can I get a good amen? Amen. I promise. I promise. Mama, I promise. Promises. 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 Haven't you said it like that before? Like you know somebody, like you, you, like you, you talk to people all the time that when they're talking the whole time in the back of your mind, you're going, promises, promises, promises. You, you have no intention of ever doing what you're telling me. And every time I talk to you, you talk to me like you're actually going to do what you're saying, but you never do. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't point to anybody. Don't punch anybody. Nothing's going to happen. Have you ever dealt with someone that made promises to you that they could never, ever, ever begin to possibly deliver on? You know anybody like that? You ever experienced that kind of dynamic in your life? Let me say this. The older we get, this tends to be more a normal occurrence that the word promise just kind of gets a little fuzzy for us. And yet, it doesn't stop us from promising Because we bump into promises all the time. They're everywhere in our life. Every day people commit to things. They swear to things. They take vows for things. They take oaths and make oaths and give their word on things that there is no way they could possibly fulfill. The only thing is that every time we bump into these things, we have no serious intention of actually doing them. I'm promising you, yes, but what it really means is, is I may or may not do what I'm telling you I'm going to do. That's really what it means now. But growing up, if you really wanted to know if someone was telling the truth or they were going to, you just simply ask them, say, do you promise? Are you, are you positive? Are you promising me that you won't say anything? Are you promising me that this is true? And, and really, honestly, that was our bar. That was the top of the line. You, you, you asked them, and that was the ultimate question, the ultimate litmus test of, do you promise? And if they said yes, I mean, this wasn't something you just said yes to because you made a promise. You had to think about it. Do I really want to promise this? But something happens. The older that we get, we used to be locked in when we promised, but now it's a little shady there. And if you did promise, let me just ask this. When is the last time you promised somebody something? Actually use the words, I promise, with a straight face. Maybe the last time that I've used it, I remember the last time I used it, it was like, do you promise? Like I couldn't even do it. It was like a joke. It's like to a kid. Do you promise? We don't ask this question anymore because it's simply not good enough. 
And it's sad. It really is sad. We went from do you promise to I need to get that in writing if you don't mind. If you don't mind. And possibly, could you go ahead and notarize that for me as well, just so we could, just so we could have a witness here. We went from I pinky swear to sign here. And now, we, 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 we reconcile this, this reality with, well, we're just kind of getting older. You know, we just kind of, the world's kind of, we're kind of more aware of really how people are, and we're just all getting older and wiser. Well, we're just, we're just wiser, that's what it is. Well, maybe that's true, maybe we are wiser. But, or it could be that, that over time we become so cynical about promises. We could be getting wiser, yes, but, but the truth is promises have just lost their meaning in our world. They used to have a lot of meaning, and, and what happened is, is, is that we have graduated to this guarantee mentality. Promises used to be enough, but now we want guarantees. We all want the guarantee. Promises don't mean a whole lot anymore without the guarantee on the back of it. We don't buy products that don't have a 100% money-back guarantee. How many of you look for this, this, this emblem right here when you start to buy stuff? Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to need you to participate. If you look for this sticker right here, I need you to raise your hand right now. What, what this sticker means is, is that you don't have to have faith in the promise of the product, because I guarantee this promise. Why would you need a guarantee on a product that you're supposedly believing in? I'll tell you why. Because they know that you don't believe in it. They know you don't believe the promise. And there, there's, there's no better example than this than, than infomercials. And they've mastered this truth about understanding that you need more than just a promise of the product. Now, raise your hand in here and go ahead and confess in the house of God if you watch infomercials. Nobody in here. Everyone in here is an absolute telling a fib. I almost said something else. You get suckered into these things. You might say, who in the world would buy that stuff? Now, let me say this. Let me stop you right there. Who in the world would buy that stuff? Have you seen the chamois wow? Who would buy the... Who wouldn't buy the chamois wow? It's not how many chamois wows do you want, how many do you want to buy it, but how many? And if you call right this second, pick up the phone now, that you won't, you get ten for the price of one. What about the thigh master? Anybody? No hands? <laughs> Nobody? Thigh master? Oh, yeah, no hands, huh? Yeah, uh huh. You don't even know where it's at. It's a must-buy. The Chia Pet's a good gift idea. Can't get enough of those. And don't forget the Snuggle, the Snuggie, rather. It makes a great stocking stuffer. The Snuggie does. And you're saying, well, who, who even buys this sort of stuff? Let me, let me explain something to you. The Thigh Master made over $100 million in its existence. That means y'all bought some of them. The Snuggie, you ain't ready for this. The Snuggie, you ready for it? $400 million. What? It's a blanket with, our, with holes in it. Anyway, for those that are serious about working out, it's a must-get, sweating to the oldies, with Richard Simmons. $200 million. You wished you'd have thought of it, didn't you? And they don't, they don't sell that many without people saying, listen, uh, we, we want you to, we're promising you that if you'll just buy Sweatin' with the Oldies, you're going to look like Richard Simmons. <laughs> they know that's not good enough. So they give a 100% money-back guarantee because promises don't mean anything anymore because we're all after that guarantee. And they say, if you'll buy now and you don't like it, which you're never not going to like that, we'll give you your money back. It's a no-lose situation. The truth is, even though promises may have lost their meaning in our world and the buying and selling, and, and we, none of us buy anything anymore without a warranty. Does this come with a warranty? Why do you need a warranty? Because you don't believe the promise. You don't believe the promise.
You could say that promises are uh, uh, like the invisible currency of relationships. When it comes to relationships, we, we don't get a guarantee. We have to trust the promise. In relationships, it's currency. The promises that we make each other, and we, we, keep, we either keep them or we break them, and it's like either we're depositing or we are uh, withdrawing. In our relationships, it's how we gauge our relationships. When we keep our, pri- our promises, we make deposits, and we break our promises, we make withdrawals. It's just as simple as that. And those exchanges of promises are what really define the relationships for the good or for the bad. And some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I, I, amen to that. I, I know somebody sitting around me right now that's overdrawing my account because they're making promises that they're not fulfilling. They're taking withdrawals. And in every day of our lives, in every form of our lives, we are forced to participate and to play along with believing and trusting in promises. And why is this important to us? The reason that it's important to us to talk about this and to learn about the promises and to learn about how we interchange and, uh, and give promises to one another and take away and break promises to one another is because it matters. It, it, it affects, in the promises that we exchange, it affects how we believe and what we believe in. Now listen to this. How someone performs with the promises that, that make us, that they make to us, is how we judge that relationship. Simple as that. Now, this is scary, so, so it's easy to see that when we're talking, it's so easy to see this when we're talking about products. We either like the product, it either performs, and, 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 or it doesn't perform. And we, we make rulings on, on businesses that don't use that business, and we tell everybody, they're not dependable. They don't do what they say or promise. And so it's easy to see that, but on a personal level, when, if you're talking with someone and you're close to someone and they keep promising you, I'm going to be there for you, baby. You can count on me. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there for you. You can believe that daddy's going to be there or mama's going to be there or I'm your friend and I'm going to be there. And again and again and again, they break that promise. Guess what's happening? You begin to lose hope. In that relationship, you begin to lose trust, and eventually you stop believing. And it breaks relationship, and you begin to move away from them. You don't want to be around them. You don't trust that situation because you don't believe that the promises they have made you and they, that they have broke, it affects how you think. It affects how you believe. Hear this today. We all move in the direction of promises that we believe. Everybody in here. We all move in the direction of the promises that we believe. This is why it's so important that if you are thinking about how you got to where you are today, you could track it back to a time or a place that you believed a promise. The person that you're sitting beside today that you're married to, you believed in a promise that they made you, and that's what led you down the track in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the path that you're on today. The job that you currently have, you listened to what they promised and you said, I step out in faith and believe you even though I have no guarantee because it's not a product. I'm going to believe what you're saying and it shapes us and it moves us down a path. And some of us can point back to the very important people in our life that were promise keepers. And we can say, this person was huge, a huge shaping uh, uh, person in my life because they promised me things and they showed up and they did what they said they were going to do. And it put me down a path of trusting promise, promises that people have made me. Now, the, the opposite is true as well. Many of you have horror stories where you have experienced the true, harsh letdown of people that you trusted and that you loved and God put in your life that you believed the words that were coming out of their mouth and you went ahead and gave your heart to that only to be let down, only to be dropped in the dirt, only to have that promise ripped away from you and the door shut in your face and everybody say, that hurts. But that also shapes how you think and how you believe about promises. Don't underestimate the impact of broken promises. Broken promises matter. This is why the psychologist, and and I'm not trying to be a psychologist today, but I'll go ahead and act like one anyway. 
I'm reading a lot of baby books, and in these books they talk about be careful promising your children. Be careful. Because, you know, they give like one example of a mother saying, baby, when, when, at, after lunch today, we're, me and you, we're going to go get an ice cream cone. Just me and you. We're going to go out and get one. So you just, after lunch, we're going to get in the car, and we're going to only to walk out in the garage and forget that you didn't have a car, that your husband took the car that day, and now you've got a two-year-old or a one-year-old in the house that you're going to have to go back in and say, you remember what mama promised about the ice cream cone? We're not going to get the ice cream cone. Mama just broke the promise. Now, how many of you are good enough and articulate enough to be able to explain to a two-year-old why Mama just broke her promise? About, baby, let me explain to you. I don't have a car. Ice cream cone. Listen, do you want to walk five miles? Ice cream cone. Mama don't have... You promised. You told, so they warn you, be careful because the perception, the intellect of a two-year-old when you promise. You remember what that felt like when you used to believe a promise? You remember when you absolutely believed a promise? Anybody remember in grade school when you felt that pain of a broken promise? And I want you to be honest. Do you remember a moment in your life grade school or back further, that someone absolutely broke your heart by breaking a promise. Lift up your hand in here. Go ahead. Mine's lifted because it's true. Isn't that amazing? We don't forget. We don't forget about the broken promises. And here's the scary truth about this. Time and experience, unfortunately, affords us a lot of broken promises. Life has a way of leading us down those paths and it impacts, it absolutely impacts the way we believe about promises, which leads me to the next point, which it affects the way we believe and grow in our faith because the whole Bible is about the promises of God. Oh, give me a break. You're going to tell me because I got my heart broken. I was 10 years old. That God, Yes. Yeah. Unresolved broken promises that were in our past, they, they affect the way we believe about promises. It could just be that you're cynical like me. Could be. If you've lived through enough broken promises, then you will understand these, these questions that I'm about to read to you. Questions like, can God truly, really be trusted with the promises that he makes in his word? I mean, really, like really, 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 really God is going to perform these promises that he gave us? The Bible says so much about promises, and God makes a lot of promises. One one counter of these promises in the Bible, one person counted like 3,573 promises in this Bible. Everybody say, that's a lot. Everybody say, that's a lot. But what about the specific ones to you? What about the promises that God have made to you specifically in your life, that you've, you felt God lead you down a path, you felt God give you a promise for you and your family? What happens... What happens when those promises begin to unravel right in front of you? What do you do when God promises, when God's promises to you and your family seem to be unfulfilled? What do you do when the promises of God seem to be unfulfilled in your life? What do you do? Let me go on record this morning before I tear away your faith too much that I believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I believe he is a promise keeper. I believe that God's promises are true and that they are for every believer and that he is a promise keeper for everybody that believes. I believe that. I believe that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that. But I am also human and I also have flesh and I also have a brain. And many times it seems as though God's promises in my life are not going to be fulfilled like he told me they would. Can I get an amen there? If not, if you can't give me an amen, give me a helping Jesus to make me feel better. What do you do? What do you do? When you feel like the promises of God are slipping out of your fingers and they're going to go unfulfilled, what do you do? What, what, 
If you've ever felt that way this morning, you're sitting here today and you felt that way, or maybe you, you, God given you, gave you a promise about your kids, or maybe God's given you a promise about your family, or maybe God's given you a promise about your finances, or maybe God's given you whatever the promise is for you specifically. But if you ever felt like it's just slipping through your fingers and that God is not going to show up and God is not going to do what he has promised you, and because of your past and because of the way you've been, you've been done in your past or the broken promises that have led you to this point and path in, in you serving God, that you're questioning that. You're not alone. You're not alone. The story that I've chosen for us to look at, matter of fact, if you, if you didn't read your Bible this morning, this is going to count for your daily Bible reading because this is a lot of scriptures that we're about to jump into. I'm going to read really fast, but this is one of my favorite stories. This is, one, this is an epic, epic story that I hope I can narrate and share with you that I think will help us if you've ever or if you are currently feeling like God's promises for your life could possibly go unfulfilled. Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. Now it happened one day when Elisha went to Shunem, there was a notable woman there, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he, as he passed by, he would turn in there and eat some food. She must have been a really good cook. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed in here for him and let the table put a table and chair and a lampstand so it will be so so it will be whenever he comes to us that he can turn in there. Verse 11. And it came to pass one day as he came there, he turned in to the upper room to lay down. He's just kicking back. He's got his arms behind his head. It's a long day journey. He's kicking back on the bed. He's hanging out. Verse 12. Then he says to Gehazi his servant, Call that Shudamite woman. When he called to her, she stood before him. In verse 13, he said to him, Say now to her. I don't know why he didn't talk to her himself, but whatever. So he says, Say now to her, Look, look, you have, concern, you, ha- you have been very concerning for us, and this is, you've given all this care to us, and what can I do for you? I want to do something to help you. Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or maybe the commander of the army? She said, I dwell among my own people. What she's saying is, is, My husband takes care of me. I dwell in my own people. My husband takes care of me. I'm good. I don't need you to do anything for me. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, what she's not telling you is, is she has no son and her husband's kind of old. She didn't mention that. So he said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. And there he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And he said, she said to him, no, my Lord. No, my Lord. No, 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 man of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you begin to mess with me about this. I got my faith out there. I've been praying about this. I've been interceding for a son. I've been confessing. I've been putting it on my refrigerator during the day. I've been believing. I've been praying and fasting and believing God for all these years. And don't you come up in here claiming promises and just be talking like old preacher on Sunday, claiming I'm going to get a son. Don't you come up in here getting my hopes up. I can't handle another missed promise. I can't handle another unfulfilled promise in my life. Don't mess with my emotions right now, Elisha. I can relate to this. If you're just talking to me, if you're just talking to hear your head rattle and you got no, you're feeling good, you got kicked back, and you're just saying things, I don't need this. Verse 17, because of her great faith, she bore a son. No, that's not what it says. It's not what it says. She, she didn't have great faith. Not at all. It's not what it says. Verse 17, but the woman conceived and bare a son when, when, uh, when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her, and the child grew. Now it happened one day that he was out with his father and went out to the field with the reapers, and, and he said to his father, my head, my head, and he did what every good father does when the child is not right and the child is sick. He said, go see your mama. Go see your mom. So he said to the servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him, he brought him to his mother. He set, at her, set him on her knee, and, and it was noonday. The brightest part of, her, of the day became the darkest moment of her life. When the promise of God died on her lap. I did that clap to make sure you're awake. 
Then he died. The promise of God, God died on the lap of the Shunammite woman. And it's about to get serious. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door on him and went out. Then she called to her husband and says, Please send me one of the young men and one donkey that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? In other words, just typical man here. They hadn't communicated about their dead son. He didn't know. She didn't tell him. She didn't tell him that I carried your dead baby and put him in there in the prophet's room. He didn't know anything about this. And she says, I'm going to handle this situation. I'm going to saddle this donkey and I'm going to go. And the Bible says that there, there's, no, there's nothing else said against this, this. She says to him about this. It's not, he goes to her. He, let, let me start over. It's not a new moon. Why are you going to see the prophet? It's not a new moon. It's not the Sabbath. So he had no clue. And then she says something very profound to him. She sa- he says, is everything okay? And she says, it is well. Which is better translated, oh, it's going to be all right. Is it well? It's going to be. Is everything okay? No, but it's going to be. Ever been there? Where something in your life is not going right, and somebody asks you if you're sorry? No, but it's going to be all right. He must have been a smart man because he didn't say another word. He's not, he, doesn't, he, has, he has no more lines in this story. None. <laughs> Honey, I don't have a clue what's going on. But I could tell by the tone right now that you're in mama mode. And you're, I'm going to go ahead and get that donkey ready. And you're going to get on that. And I'm going I'm to leave you alone. That's a smart man. Smart man. Verse 24. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. In other words, gas it. If you can gas that. I don't know if you can. Push it. Let the reins loose. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off. She must have been kicking up some dust. Allow me to take my liberty if you don't mind. And he says to his servant Gehazi, Look, is that that shoot of my woman? Is that, is that that shoot of my woman? Coming across there at 100 miles an hour? He says, go run out there and meet her and ask her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? Is it well with you? Is it well with your children? Is it well with your child? It's in the Bible. And she answered, Oh, it's going to be all right because you're going to fix it. Oh, it's going to be all right. Verse 27. Now she came to the man of God of the hill and she caught him by the feet. She's in mama mode. And Gehazi, his bodyguard, servant slash bodyguard, He tries to push her away, but the man of God says, Let her alone, for her soul is deep distress, in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me. I don't know what's happening. He hadn't told me what it is. So she said, God, I love this part. Buckle up for this part. I'm still in the Bible. My Lord, did I ask for this, son? Did I ask for this? Was this my idea? Did I? Answer me. Did I ask you? Right about this time, you got to feel for Elisha a little bit. Like, ah, oh, she warned me about this. He's like, oh, this Shunammite woman, you don't mess with Shunammite women. They're tough. They're mean. They're, they're, they're serious about their, their people. He's like, I'm trying to remember exactly what's happening here. And so she says to him, I'm going to tell you what happened. Let me, let me just give you a play-by-play. Let me remind you what happened. You came up in my house. You were in a room I made for you. I was standing in the doorway with my hand on the, on the door jam, And you said to me, in a year from now, you're going to have a boy. And I told you, don't you give me no promise and then back out on it. Did I not tell you that? I told you that if this happened... I was going to be upset. 
I didn't ask for nothing, but you insisted on giving me this son. You insisted on giving me this promise from God. And now, Elisha, he is dead. He's in your bedroom, and he is dead. And this was your idea. And if I'm Elisha, I am sweating bullets. He's like, this doesn't need to go anywhere else. I, I, I don't want this to get out. My traveling ministry of prophesying over folks could be damaged by what just happened. I don't want to get that out. Kids, okay if I take my liberty with this today? You can kind of see this happening. Verse 29, so he said to Gehazi, he says to the body, get yourself ready. And take my staff in your hand and, go, and be on your way. If you meet anyone, don't greet them. Don't slow down. You just be, you, you be running. And if anybody greets you, you don't even talk to them. You lay it down, lay the staff. You go, I want you to walk in that room. I want you to lay the staff on the child. In verse 30, and the mother of the child said, Please, please, you're going to send, you're going to send your servant with your staff to my dead baby and my dead promise? I think not. You are going back with me. Don't even try it. I see what you're trying to do right now, and it's a no. Gehazi already took off because he didn't want to be there. So he's on his way with the, the prophet's stick, and he gets there. And Gehazi, he, he, he meets, so he, he didn't realize she was upset about that. So they're on their way back to the house, and Gehazi had already been at the house, and he's come back to meet them. And you know what he says to him? He comes, and he meets him halfway, and he says, Hey, uh, uh, Elisha, he says, by the way, that whole staff thing and the stick thing didn't work. He goes, Shh. Calm down. It's going to be okay. We're going to try something else. Everybody just calm down. Let the old prophet do what he does. This is serious business. And it's kind of funny, but it's serious. Everybody just calm down. Let me think. So Elisha, he, he, how many know you just try some stuff in church? You just try some stuff. You, now, if you haven't been in church very long, you're like, what's the whole stick thing? Let me tell you something. We used to do this deal in church back home where we used to pull out this table from like the back, our, our chair, and we set it in the front of the church, and we call it the mercy seat. Anybody else do this? Nobody else do And, so, and if, you, if you, had, <laughs> you had family issues or you just just struggling, you just want to quit on God, you're just, you just mad, whatever, you come and sit at the mercy seat. You just sit down in that chair, and what happens is when you sit down in that chair, everybody in the audience come running up there, and they start laying hands on you, just start smacking and casting the devil out, whatever. So you either got your deliverance or you just fell out on the floor because everybody's praying for you. One or the other. And if you're a pastor in here today, you know what I'm talking about. When, when the crisis comes and you're just, well, God, whatever it takes, we're going to lay down, stand up, kneel down, close your eyes, put your one hand up, one leg up, whatever you... Do whatever because we're desperate right now. And Elisha starts doing this stuff. He starts trying to trying his best to try to figure something out to help this woman and her family. And so he's just trying stuff. Verse 31, he laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. It didn't work. Therefore, he's, he went back to meet him and, and told him, saying, The child uh, has not awakened. Verse 32, then Elisha came into the house where the child was lying dead on the bed. And the first thing he did was lay the stick on him. The second thing he did, uh, he went in there and shut the door behind him. And the two of them prayed. Another one, don't, don't miss this. They go in the room. They leave her out. It's just him and the servant. And the second thing they tried, they tried the stick first, didn't work. Then the second thing they did, they just had a good old-fashioned prayer meeting. When all else fails, you just pray. They just prayed their little heart out. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Shoot her, my woman. Oh, God. She's going to kill me. Third thing he tries is really, really, really unique. I don't recommend it. And he went up and laid on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and stretched himself on the child. That's just where I'd have to say, Mama, he ain't going to make it. He ain't going to make it. He, go, he gone. Because I'm not going out like this. This, this young man's not going to make it. So the Bible says that his flesh became warm. Really? Yeah, because he was laying on him. <laughs> First the stick, then the prayer, then he lays on him. Fourth thing, he just starts pacing back and forth. He starts pacing, but this is in the Bible. You can check it out and you can come up to me after and make fun, whatever. He starts pacing back and forth. He's tore up about this. What are we gonna, uh, you ever been there? 
Y'all ain't never been there. When, when you got everything in the world going wrong and you just start, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, you got, you're going to do something. This is serious. I'm pacing right now. God, I start pacing. So that's the fourth thing he did. So he says, let's try something one more time. Let's go back to the third thing. I don't know why he decided to try to lay on him again. He just said, let's just, let's, let's just get another shot. Let's just try it again. Stab didn't work. Prayer didn't work. Pacing didn't work. Let's, let's, let's try the fifth thing. Let's, let's try this again. So he says, he stretches himself out again. And the Bible would like for us to note that the child did not sneeze three times. He didn't sneeze four times. He sneezed seven times. And only after the seventh sneeze did Sneezy wake up. So on the fifth act of the prayer, so to speak, the seventh sneeze, does the boy open his eyes? And Elisha's like, glory. God, I knew he's going to show up like this. I knew God's going to come. I knew going to come. And he says to his, his servant, go and get that Shudamite woman. God is doing a miracle in here. Go pick up your son, sister. Go pick him up. In verse 37. So she went in and fell at his feet and bowed down on the ground. And she picked up her son and she went out. My, 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 my. I love that the man of God never made an excuse for God and his promise. I love that. You know why he did? Because God's God all by himself. He don't need you to prop him up. He don't need you to protect him. Let's just clear something up right now. God is the promiser and we're the promisee. God is the promiser. It's on him, not on us. God don't need us to prop him up. God don't need us to protect him. He's God all by himself. All he needs us to do is to trust him. Everybody say, trust him. I think sometimes I know I feel this way. When we start feeling the promises are going unfulfilled, we start promising God. God, if you'll just come through, I promise I'll do this, I'll do that. I promise I'll do this. You didn't deserve this when you got it, and you can't promise anything to keep it. He's the promiser. You're the promisee. I think it's interesting that it was the fifth act of prayer, and it was the seventh sneeze. I think God's cool like this. I think everything in the Word of God matters. And this is interesting to me that the number five in Scripture represents grace. Five acts of prayer. Grace. Elijah is going to be grace. So the seven, number seven represents perfection. And God is saying, Elisha, it's by my grace that these promises are given to you. And it's by my grace that you remain, they remain in your life. And I love the tenacious faith of this, this Shudamite woman. At first, if you'll remember, when she had, she had this cautious faith, don't promise me anything. It's almost like she'd been through some times of her life where she'd had some broken promises. She knew what it was like to be let down or to see some promises of God maybe that were unfulfilled at this point. And so she said, don't, don't put this on me. But after she had given birth to the promise... After she had received the promise and it had lived with her a couple of years, she has this turning. She has this, this mama faith, this, this incredible faith that she's not going to give up. And here's what you need to know about this. They only had 24 hours to bury this, this son. So instead of her making burial arrangements, she's putting her faith and trust in God. In other words, this is a preaching point right here. It's okay if you clap on this part. In other words, she refused to bury the promise that was given to her. I told you, right there. there. She refused to bury her promise because God had given it to her. And even though it looked unfulfilled, she refused to give up on it. Let me just give you the highlight right here. You know what you do when it looks like your, your, your promises of God are being unfulfilled? You take that promise back to the place... You carry that promise back into that place where God first gave it to you. Where the word came to you. And you lay it on the bed. You don't bury it. You lay it and carry it to the foot of the cross. You take it to God. You take it to his word and you say, listen, you was this my idea? Was this ministry my idea? Was this thing you put in my heart my idea? I think not, God. You did this to me. You gave me this promise. I'm not the promiser. You are. I'm only the promisee. Philippians 6 and 1 says, He who has begun a good work. 
is able and he will complete it. For five years, Charlotte and I weren't not trying to have children. Y'all get that? We never talked about it seriously until year number four. And then after four years, we thought, we haven't not tried not to have children. So something must be wrong with one of us here. So we decided to go to the doctor. And we didn't want to go to the doctor because we were afraid we'd find out something that we didn't want to hear. That's faith for you, isn't it? Isn't that what we do? God, I'm going to have faith in you, but I ain't going to go find out, just in case. (laughs) I don't know why I get so honest up here. I'm never honest like this anywhere else. (laughs) So we decided in November of 2012 to go to a fertility specialist to find out for sure exactly what was going on. And I remember the day that he looked at us both, and he told us that, we both had issues when it came to childbearing. And we got in the car. Let me just sum it up like this uh, without going into too much detail. You have a problem. You have a problem. It's never going to happen. I mean, never. It's not going to happen. We got in the car, and it was, boy, it was a quiet ride home. I was devastated, defeated, angry, and lost all at the same time. But really, what I wanted to do is very spiritual. I just wanted to pout. Why are you so mean to me? Why me? I don't know where it came from, and it definitely wasn't spiritual necessarily at the moment, but it came from within, and my wife was um, in tears. And I said, Charlotte... I know what the doctor said, but I also know that he's not in control of life. And that God is the giver of life. And that he will have the final say in this. I never felt a no from God. But that's what happened. We made it through the holidays of that December, the following month, and we, boy, it was tough. And we never told a soul, we never told anything about it. And I wish I could tell you, we went on this at great extended fast, and we began to pray, and we began to plead, and ask God, and beg God. And, but that didn't happen. I'll tell you what did happen, though. Um, what did happen was, is everybody I saw that next week, and the next month, and the next month after that, everybody that came into my office had like ten kids, and they were expecting another one. No joke. Two weeks after we got that news, I'm in my office, and Patty Winslet, can, she can testify to this. There was a girl in my office that was going the next day to have an abortion. And here I am, and I don't, this is not a feel sorry for us type message, but, but I just how the enemy does. I'm begging her not to abort this baby, and here I am begging God and mad at God and pouting with God why I can't. How many of you know that that's how the enemy works? When you don't get your promise, you begin to see it on everybody else. You begin to, mind games begin to happen. And let me tell you what the Bible says. This is biblical. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, hope deferred messes with your mind. You see things, you hear things, and that's what happens. Friday the 14th, 2013, after us not fasting, after us not praying, after us honestly. I came home from work. Friday, normal day. And Charlotte's sitting in the floor of our living room, and she's down. It's not unusual. I don't know why she does that. I'm kidding. She's down there, and our dog is down there. She's kind of playing with our dog. And she goes, sit down for a second. I want you to see this. And so she gets out this treat. And she's got this little treat, you know, dog treat. And she starts saying, show Daddy the baby. 
and she's and the dog jumps up on her stomach, or whatever. Show daddy the baby, and the dog jumps up, and I'm I'm sitting here watching this play out. <laughs> this is what you did all day while I was working. <laughs> really, you, you taught him a trick, huh? That's neat. So about ten times later, she she just looked at me, and the dog's pointing, you know, to her stomach, and she looks at me and says. Josh, I'm pregnant. And I just looked at her. And I thought, is God strike me now? Here's what I thought. Oh, my God. She thinks she's pregnant. <laughs> this is not happening. I'm playing this in my head. I'm going, oh, my God. It's not enough that I'm devastated that we can't. Now my wife has gone crazy and she thinks that we can and that she is. I promise you, I'm not being funny. This is what's happening in my head. I'm th- oh my God, this is just what I need. I can't believe this is happening. So finally she said, because I need a guarantee. She says, I took three pregnancy tests and they're all positive. We're going to have a baby. And I I never said a word. I took my shirt off and laid in the floor. I don't know why I did that, but it just was really hot in there. It was so hot. God, it was hot. Woo! I don't know if that's a spiritual thing. I don't recommend it at church. But God, it got hot in there. So... So after all that man of God and that man of faith got up off the floor, we were excited, cautiously excited, cautiously excited. And so the next, like that was a Friday, and then two days later it was Father's Day. And God was messing with me. I standing over here and God was saying, she don't even believe in my promises. You don't believe me. And, I'm, and, we, and we, it's so funny. The, the next week we go to the specialist and we walk in to see the specialist. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of walking fast. Because I want to talk to him. And we get in there, and he's got the... He, he, you know how they do. And if there's any doctors here, we love y'all. But y'all really act like you're smarter than what you are. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just... We do two up here. We do the same thing. So, here's what he said. Here's what he said. He goes like this. He goes... Well, Mr. Reynolds, Mrs. Reynolds, looks like... Uh, Looks like we're going to have a miracle baby. He said. He goes. He goes. And I'm, I'm trying to hurry. I'm trying to close. I was supposed to be done in about a minute. So he says this. He says. Um, you know we really only know about 5%. And we really can't figure out that first part of like how and why. I said because you're not the giver of life. Only God is the giver of life. So. Before you think I'm too spiritual, we walked out of there and we wouldn't say anything to anybody about anything because we act like if we're going to say something about it, God's going to take it away. This is, this is what's going on because hope deferred makes the mind sick. And you start thinking, oh God, I'm too, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. If I don't think about it, it won't happen. God won't take it away from me. And so, we, so 10 and a half weeks before we told anybody, before we even told our parents because we're such men and women of faith. And I like to call it cautious faith. But why did I have cautious faith? Because I believed I was a promiser, not the promisee. I thought I was in control. But we're not. All the way to the birth, the enemy keeps creeping into my mind and creeping over my shoulder and says, what if God doesn't come through? What if God takes away this? What if it's an unfulfilled promise? What if it's just to build your faith only to take it away? Maybe he's trying to teach you a lesson. Maybe he's trying to... 12-hour labor, emergency C-section, the enemy's over my shoulder. She's out, laying out. I don't I act like it hurts. Just a joke. Just a joke. I love you, baby. I'm kidding. The enemy is saying, your miracle's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I don't know how she's... So, they, so you know what happens, man. They're over there. You're over there. And you're over there doing the work now because you're helping with the nurse. And they're, she's, trying to, she's trying to get him to breathe. And the enemy's... Like four minutes, she's working with him. And the enemy's... It's not going to make it. It's not going to make it. It's not going to make it. And I begin to say something. 
I wrote down right here I wasn't going to cry. Don't cry. Go ahead and breathe, baby. You're a miracle, baby. God has given you to us. I've come to declare the devil's a liar. He's a liar. The devil is a liar. And sometimes, sometimes when it don't look right, sometimes when it don't feel right, sometimes when it doesn't smell right, you've got to open up your mouth and declare, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's not all right, but it's going to be all right because God is going to come through for me. Sometimes your deliverance is in your declaration of your miracle. It took five years for us to have our baby. Five. The number of grace. This, This is just me preaching right now. Today, didn't know I was going to preach until Wednesday. He's five months old. Today, he's five months old. I get happy about that sort of stuff. Because I know. Because I know God will come through on his promises. How can you say that he'll come through for me? Because I'm not the promiser. He's the promiser. And in spite of how many times you've been let down, in spite of what you may think, in spite of what the enemy may be telling you, God is a promise keeper. He cannot lie. He will not lie. Stand to your feet this morning. Maybe you've come in here today. Maybe you have baggage from your past of people letting you down and letting you down and letting you down. The people that weren't supposed to. The people that you thought you could trust in. And that has affected you in your relationship with God. Believe me, I know what I'm talking about. But I've come to declare to you today, you can trust God with the promises that He's given you. You don't have to be super spiritual. You don't have to fast until your belly button falls off because you're not the promiser. You're the promisee. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to take your unfulfilled promises today. I need you to put them in your arms. And I don't need you to bury them. I don't need you to put them in the grave. God has sent me to tell you that if you'll carry it back to the place that you got it, if you'll carry it back to Him, the where you got that word initially, that God will save your children. God will give you that financial blessing. God can trust you with a promise that He's given you if you won't bury it, if you won't give up. If you've heard the word that I have preached this morning and you feel something, we've got a few moments. I'd like for you to step out of your pew, make your way to the front. We're going to sing a song. We're going to lift our hands and declare the promises of God are true. And amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.